Welcome back to episode six of Fix. I'm your host, Jessica Danielle. I hope you enjoyed both of my special guests last week and I have many more to come. But for today, it's just you and me guys. We will dive into all things legal or mostly illegal, as I should say. Um, And hopefully if you haven't reached a point in your addiction where you've had legal ramifications, this story will scare you. And then for those of you that already have, I'm going to give you the tools needed to clean up your life legally, okay? It's no secret that our legal system is royally fucked up. It's corrupt, innocent until proven guilty no longer exists. Although in my case, I really was always guilty. Ha! But the whole system needs a reboot, and I think we can all agree. I also know that the holidays can be hard for a lot of people. Loneliness, spare time, depression... That can all lead to wanting to use. Um, Hopefully this story will be not just entertaining and a way for you to kill some time, but hopefully um, it's it's either going to scare you or help you while hopefully entertaining you as well, because most of my legal stuff is just, it's ridiculous. So anyways, um, grab a pen. If you're already legally screwed, you're going to want to take notes and everyone else just sit back and listen and enjoy the ride and be happy it's not you stay tuned okay guys so i'm gonna break up this into a few sec like sections segments um the first one i'm just gonna give you a general background of what you would see probably on my background check um Like I said, I think in my first episode, you know, I would get in trouble partying in high school and drinking underage. Those are called MICs. They're misdemeanors in the state of Texas. Um, I did get a DUI, which is driving. I I was like a .001. I think I'd have like, I I went to pick up my friend at 2 a.m., did an illegal U-turn at Taco Bell. I wasn't 21 yet. And anyways, um, thanks to that, I got a DUI, which is different than a DWI because I was not over the legal age. I just wasn't 21, right? That kind of stuff was fines, probation. Okay. I got off of that. All that. So that's pretty much, those are like so old. Anyways, once I started getting drug charges is when I really found myself kind of in a mess. Okay. Um, and you know, this all happened so quick for me. I literally, I think, um, I, I remember getting caught and I always got caught in cars. That was always like my thing. Cause I would use in the car, right? I'd pick up from the plug, go straight to get some water, a spoon, whatever you needed. And I would use in the car at this point in time, when I first started really getting caught, um, my two best guy friends that were brothers, they were in jail. Um, and that's who I had used originally and started using with. So I was using alone now. Um, so what happens when you use alone? Okay. You nod off, right? Well, I can't tell you the amount of times that I have woken up to people literally, like I would be sitting at a gas pump or sitting in a parked car in a parking spot. Um, just sitting, sleeping, nodded off, sometimes with a needle in my arm, sometimes just like 
I probably looked, I don't know. And people would just knock on the window and like, it would, I mean, it would wake me up. But sometimes they would have called the cops already. I've been window knocked by cops, didn't even see them coming. Um, The actual, the last time that I myself got in trouble was in Tucson. Okay. And um, I woke up to literally like, oh my God, there were so many of them. There was like 20 cops surrounding my car at a gas pump. And I just had like everything in my lap. I had been like sleeping. I think that this was like a time when I'd been going through like homelessness, not homelessness, like whatever. I was exhausted. Okay. So in the end, like sleep, like man. Okay. I mean, I would, I would, I would, I guess it would start off as a nod off, but it would end up into a sleep for 12 hours. So I'm sure the gas station guy after like, you know, the 10th hour, it was like, what the hell? Um, so anyways, I woke up to a bunch of cops. <sighs> now I've had theft charges, um, minor ones to having illegal documents in my possession that were not mine, like banking documents, that kind of stuff. Um, all of that stuff, right? Um, they range in the they range in like I guess the levels of charges. Um, most of the time, I had already used the drugs that I would be caught with. So there would be like nothing really left, just paraphernalia, which, depending on what state you're in, could either be a misdemeanor or a felony, okay? Um, in Texas, almost everything is a felony whenever it comes to drugs, you guys. Like, I mean, uh, it's called under a gram, possession under a gram, okay? So I'm talking like an empty drug bag where, once again, found I was, my window was knocked on by some dude. And then I like literally remember grabbing like as much paraphernalia as I could find in my car because I was outside of my own house. And I threw everything under the garage, closed the garage door, and I was like trying to run upstairs because I couldn't go from the garage to the upstairs. I had to like go around. It was like a condo apartment building. And um, anyways, I remember throwing what I thought was everything and then like closing the garage. And as soon as I turn go to turn around, I have like lights in my face. And once again, bad county. Um, I was like surrounded by a zillion, like they must have literally taken every single cop in this conservative county and decided that a little girl sleeping in her car was worth their entire police force. Okay. I'm not a fan of this county at all. But anyways, um, I think I threw my keys because I had them in my hand. I think they find them. And then again, keep in mind, this goes on. They have me on the curb screaming at me, yelling at me for hours. I'm crying. All my neighbors are like looking. This is like just horrible, right? But they hadn't found anything. They just knew that like, and I wasn't letting them in my house. They just knew that I had, someone must have made a call saying that, you know, I found this person. She had all this stuff in her lap and whatever. So they were like grilling me. And anyways, I just sat there forever. And, um, 
I don't know if my car door had been opened or once they found the keys, somehow they get into my car. Okay. And I'm pretty positive that I was like, whatever, you're not going to, there's nothing in there. I had a really nice Jeep. I kept it really clean. Okay. Do these people rip apart my car? It takes them like three hours. They come up with this little baggie of, I don't even know what, and I don't know where it was from. It was definitely not what I was using. It almost looked like an empty Coke bag or something. And it had like, it had like little like remnants, like barely anything in the bag, okay? What they did, which was so messed up, instead of charging it as paraphernalia, they literally took the baggie and they weighed the baggie, okay, somehow. And so anyways, it comes out to a state jail felony, um, possession under a gram. It was really possession of nothing, okay? Uh, but that I remember that happening, um, I had that same charge happen in a, like a touching county. When that charge happened, I actually spent 14 days in jail and then I got time served. The county that I'm speaking of with the weighing of the baggie, um, it, they sent me to prison, you guys, over that. <laughs> I went to prison over that. Um, and I wish I could say that there was like some grand part of that story that I'm leaving out there's really not like I straight up like went to prison state jail it was TDCJ um I went I had already they gave me my back time credit so I had already like essentially done six months in county before they were like okay we're gonna give you um you know a total of 12 you've done six okay great go do six more um and so I went I did that okay um I get out and keep in mind, like one of the hardest parts about, in my opinion, is you can get sober in prison. You can get sober in jail. I really did want to do better, but I really did not know how I was going to do that and who I was going to do it with because I was so alone, you know? And, um, and I just felt like no one could relate to me and no one would understand and no one would, um, like I just felt lost. Like that was like when I felt the most lost and I was like, Oh my God. So I'd gone, this is kind of funny. So whenever I got arrested, I had had my hair blonde, like bleach blonde. I used to go back and forth all the time between blonde and Brown. Anyways, um, it was bleach blonde when I went in. Okay. I have really dark hair, like almost black naturally. And so after being in there for a year, you guys, I looked like I had the worst, um, what, oh my God, what's the word? What's, what do you call it? The worst balayage of all time. Like literally my roots were down to like the middle of my earlobe. It was like black and then like blonde. And it was like, no, like there was no blending. Oh my God, I'm permanently scarred. And because of that, even though I do think I look cute blonde, um, I will never, because of that experience, I don't know if I like think that it's like jinxed or what, I'm never ever dyeing my hair blonde again. And I'm pretty sure that the picture from my driver's license at the moment, like I've, I've always been like looking at it. Once I moved back to Texas, they, since I'd had a license, um, they just like, I just reinstated it here, but they sent me this picture, right? I didn't have to like go get a new one taken. They send me a picture. I'm like, where's this picture from my license? Like I, I look fat. Um, my hair is like really weird looking. It, 
I'm like, oh, ha, I think that's my TDCJ picture. Because I think what they do, so like for reentry programs, at least in Texas, most people will walk into prison and, you know, they've lost their IDs, their social security cards, their birth certificates, et cetera. Well, you can opt to get those things handed to you on your way out the door. Um, I did. And I believe that, that that's where that picture came from. Um, yeah. Anyways, though, so whenever you get out, you typically aren't going to have a car. You may have somewhere to live. If you do, good for you. Um, I did for a minute. That is a long story. It was someone I trusted um, and that I looked up to as like a mother figure. And she ended up like taking my last little bit of money that I had put at her house. Like she knew where it was. I trusted her. I put it there because I didn't have a debit card or credit card or anything. And I went out and it was all the money I had. And I had a certain amount left and she took it, told me she took it blatantly um, cause she needed it. So her car didn't get repoed or I can't remember what the story was that she said, but she ended up kicking me out. Um, anyways, that whole thing, I, she did, she did a lot for me and I never understood why, but I think, I think I have a little bit better understanding maybe now, but I don't know. We'll just agree to disagree. Um, anyways, so now I'm really back to square one, right? Don't have anywhere to go. Don't have anyone to call. Don't, I don't have a credit or debit card. I don't have a bank. Um, I did end up getting a car because I had totaled mine prior to going to prison. So I used, like I filed a claim and that's how I'd gotten that money that she stole. But I, I'd used it to buy a car and that's all I had was a car at this point. So I was like living out of my car, Okay. Um, and then this is also the time period where I connect again with my husband. Um, his mom had just died. We were both kind of feeling the same way, very lost, very lonely, whatever. And let me also specify when you get out of state jail and you complete your sentence, you are not on probation. It's not, I'm not, I wasn't on parole. I wasn't on probation. Now leading up to like me going to prison, there's a lot of like little things that happen that I'd get put on probation for. And I'm always messed up probation. At one point in time, I literally, well, this is, I literally got caught. Um, I'm like getting handcuffed along with a couple other people and they're like walking me to their car and they go, they go, Jessica. And I'm like, I look over and go, what is this? Cause it was my car that we were in, of course. And, um, I'm like, Oh, it's just some fake pee. I don't know why I said that. And he's like, oh, really? What's it for? And I wasn't even like, I don't even know. I wasn't even like thinking. Um, again, goes back to the bad county, same county as the other one. But um, I was like, oh, I think I think I was going to use it in case my parents drug tested me. I don't know. He's like, oh, so you were going to falsify it? I was like, wait, what? And I was just like, so thrown off by the whole thing. I think, I don't know if I said yes, whatever. But anyways, I got charged with falsifying a drug test, um, essentially getting caught with fake pee. Like I'm telling you, I was a terrible, terrible criminal, okay? Always getting caught in stolen cars or my cars, sleeping in cars. I've been, I've been let off a few times too. Um, me and my husband, we become really asked out, right? We're like in Dallas. And I remember one night, 
sucked. We were, it was pouring down rain. Okay. And, um, there was this car that we knew was stolen because like one of our stupid friends had stolen it, but they had parked it away from their house. Well, it was pouring down rain and we were homeless. So what did we do? We went, we got in the car and we slept in it. Okay. We wake up in the middle of the night to just tons of flashlights in our face. It's like, and keep in mind, still pouring down rain. Um, they're like asking us like all these questions. We're like, we have no idea where this car came from. We're just homeless. Um, we like the car door was unlocked. We've seen it here, you know, for days. And we just like got in it because we didn't have anywhere to go. And like, I remember the cops, like kind of all like gathering around, looking at each other, kind of like wondering, like, are we worth their time? I don't know. They let us go. Um, and I've had other times where, you know, I've gotten, let go of. Um, I've had times where I've gotten let go of and my husband has not. Um, one time in particular that stands out is they literally, um, which this was actually my fault. I was arguing on the phone with my real mom in a parking lot and, um, we were sitting in my, I don't know. We were sitting in a car again and anyways, oh, it it was my car at the time. Um, I hadn't got it. I hadn't lost it yet. And it had all my stuff in the back of it that I'd taken from that lady's house. And anyways, I'm sitting there and they show up and my husband, I believe he had a warrant for something, but in the back of my car was my Texas tech diploma. Okay. So these cops, they separate us. Right. And they start like hounding me. They're like, how they're like, you're from South Lake. We, you have a, you went to college. Like, what are you doing with these people? Do you know who these people are? Like, you're about to screw up your life, dude. Like, you're about to really mess up your life. Straight up, those cops let me go, and they took my husband to jail. Okay? I've been, I've had many, many run-ins with the law. And let me tell you, it never was going to stop. Eventually, what would have happened is I wasn't going to, we were out of our chances, so we probably, my, my thought is that we would have ended up in prison for a long time, both of us. And since we were so like attached at the hip, that would have been like the worst thing ever um, in my mind. And, but that's how it was going to end if we didn't get sober, right? So again, going back to my God shot of getting sober when they, you know, I found out I was pregnant, his family offered offered us the opportunity to go to rehab, I was like, yes, 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 yes. I want to go. I want to go. He wanted to go. So that was like it. We were, that was it. We were done. And I promise you, like, I kind of just flew through those and there wasn't necessarily like a chronological order of them, but I will tell you by the end of everything, I had felonies in one, two, three states. Okay. Okay three states. Um, and that is when, and they were all active at the time that I got sober. Okay. So let's stop there. And then I'm going to move us to the next segment. Okay. So jumping back into it again, um, I want to talk about what really, really gets me when it comes to these drug laws, okay? 
Um, like I said, I had felonies in multiple states. Every state is different. What I will tell you is uh, if you're trying to mess around with drugs, Texas is not the right state, okay? Um, to break down, like, essentially how Texas does it, they have four different penalty groups. And then within those groups, there's like different um, degrees of the penalty based on how much you're caught with, right? Um, penalty group one is essentially drugs that have no medical purpose. They're, they have a high risk of abuse, things like heroin, fentanyl, ketamine, cocaine, oxycotton. You get it. One A is pretty much just LSD, okay? And then penalty group two is like spice, synthetic cannabis, and MDMA. Three is going to be mostly your benzos, and then four is going to be small doses of narcotics with medical purpose. Okay, pretty much with all of those, um, except for group four, you're going to prison, even if you have a gram or less, okay? It's called a state state jail felony. So less than a gram gets you six months to two years if you were caught with a penalty group one drug, meaning coke, oxy, heroin, fentanyl, ketamine, they're all in the same group. If you have less than a gram, six months to two years in prison, that is the time, okay? Third degree would be considered one gram or more, but less than four. That's automatic up to 10 years. Second degree is four grams or more, but less than 200, okay? You can get up to 20 years. Now, first degree, if you get caught with over 200 grams, but less than 400, you are going to prison for up to 99 years to life. And then lastly, if you get caught with more than 400 grams, you have a minimum of 10 years that you have to spend before you can even potentially possibly parole, but it's up to a a life sentence, essentially. So Texas really doesn't mess around when it comes to the um, schedule one drugs um, or the, you know, the the serious drugs, right? Um, They really don't mess around with anything. I mean, even, you know what the crazy thing is, is that I just looked and cannabis is actually still considered in Texas to be part of penalty group one, okay? Even though they, I guess, have like laxed maybe on like not just sending you to prison automatically. But anyways, that's still part of the law in Texas, okay? Now, I want to contrast that to the California law. And this is, oh, okay. So if I would have done all of my misdeeds in California, under their Prop 47 in California, possession of any drug on, on a schedule is a misdemeanor. Now, if you have previous violent offenses, you could possibly and maybe get up to a year in prison, but mm, probably not going to happen, okay? So essentially, every single thing on my background check would be a misdemeanor in California. And the funny thing is, I do remember sitting with my probation officer. So I'd gotten clean. I start working on these states. You know, I'm in California, but I'm starting to work on Texas. So I fly back to Texas. They agree to this, like, I had a really good lawyer. They agree to this, like, amazing probation term, okay? I get my big charge dropped. It's dismissed as part of the plea agreement. 
Um, my big charge was not a drug charge. It was that identity theft essentially charge. Okay. Um, that would be dismissed. And then they gave me this long lengthy list of things I needed to do while being put on probation for, I believe three years. Okay. Um, and this was after, and, and if I hadn't have already been to treatment, that was part of it. So it wouldn't have even like, like I, it was going to be a long thing. Okay. But, um, pretty much every single charge other than that theft charge, which would be a felony in any state. Yeah. I wouldn't even be, um, a felon essentially. That would have been it. I would have had misdemeanors. Um, now let me talk about Arizona. So Arizona, this is weird too. Um, Arizona, they have thresholds. Okay. So if, if you hit a certain threshold, um, there's automatically a presumption of sales, which is a mandatory prison sentence, even if you have no prior criminal history. Now get this. This is where like, it just doesn't, it's so backwards. But anyways, if you have one gram of heroin, which is not very much at all, one gram of heroin gets you an automatic sentence. In contrast, you could have nine grams of meth or nine grams of coke. So essentially they're saying, hey, we don't care as much about methamphetamines in Arizona. Fine. Now all of you heroin people, we're going to screw you with a gram. Okay. Anyways, the reason Arizona was um, one of the places that I had to clean up and I did have a drug charge in Arizona, my drug charge was a small, tiny methamphetamine charge. I ha- I'm not a meth user, but that was what was in the car. I had done, I'm sure, the heroin. But thank God I had because otherwise I wouldn't have been <laughs> getting out of there like at all. I guess like certain states view different drugs I don't know, differently, which is just odd that nine grams of an amphetamine or methamphetamine versus one gram of an opioid has such different penalty. I mean, like that's a big difference in amount and they all equal automatic prison time. Like what? Anyways. Okay. Moving to the next state that I um, had an issue with. This was also not a drug related issue. And um, I was able to handle it. But in the state of Oklahoma, um, in 2016, the state passed, I guess they called it Question 780, which made all drug possession legal. Okay. Well, apparently that wasn't working out so well for them because on November 1st of this year, drug possession is now a felony once again. However, I will give them a little bit of credit. What they do um, in Oklahoma, which I, I guess is part of this new law, is that if you complete, so say that, you know, you do get caught with something, whatever, um, and you complete like a drug ed course, uh, substance awareness course, or go to treatment or whatever it is, um, you're, you actually get your felony removed. Um, whereas in Texas, I like, even though all of my stuff is dismissed, like my other stuff is done but Texas, like, is is where I have to wait the longest to be eligible to get anything expunged. Even though I completed probation, did all my time, you know, my big charge shows up as dismissed, you can still see that stuff, you guys. Like, that will follow me. And it has. 
And I guess that's kind of like what I I can't sit here and be like, oh man, I wish I did drugs in California instead. I mean, sure. Like, okay, I guess. But then again, like the way I look at it is if you're just allowing that to happen, what's someone's reason for stopping? Okay. Unless they find inner purpose, which in my case, I really did want to stop and it had nothing to do with legal stuff. I mean, that the legal stuff weighed on me because I knew eventually it was going to catch up to me. But I was like really, really tired of being homeless, of living like that. I had health problems. Like I was just tired, sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? Um, but it does bother me that like in the state, my favorite state, I love the state of Texas. And ironically, you know, now that I'm a mom, even though they do have very harsh penalties and, you know, you don't want to mess around out here. I do appreciate that for my son. And I know that people, um, might not understand that, that, you know, whatever, but like, I, I want, I don't want bad guys on the streets that are out selling, you know, drugs and fentanyl and whatnot. Like I I don't want that. And I want like law enforcement. I want to know that if something is happening to me, I can pick up the phone and call them and they're going to come help me. Um, now I live in a part of Texas where everyone around here, um, has guns, right? Like literally like probably 10 and they're probably packed and loaded and they're in their car. They've got AKs, they've got Glocks, they've got freaking, you name it. They have it. It's in their car, in their house, on their person. It was crazy. It's crazy walking into Walmart and seeing everyone like carrying a gun on their belt buckle. But I mean, seriously, like I'm literally looking right now at the high school, elementary school and middle school across the street from me. There is a huge sign that says our staff are armed. Okay. I appreciate that. Thank God. I mean, we've had Uvalde, we've had, um, other instances, but like, and you know, Uvalde, that really bothers me because I live literally like I could throw a, I'm not even that great of a thrower, but I could freaking open my window right now and throw a ball and it would hit the playground for the elementary school. Okay. Well, in Uvalde, I guess it was a small town as well. And all the parents talked about how they could hear shots being fired and they ran, which if that happened here, I would be able to hear it as well. And being able to like run and then be stopped by police and not allowed to go in and get your child, that is like traumatizing and heartbreaking and terrible. And um, the cops really did a, that was the most poor performance of a police department ever. Um, I hope that the state of Texas learned from that, which I think that they have. And I know I'm in an area of Texas where, I mean, I don't think that there's, I think you'd have a really hard time stopping these parents from getting to their kids. That is my personal opinion. Um, Now, does that mean that I want, I don't think that people that get caught using small amounts of drugs deserve jail time. Okay. I don't, um, you're not looking for them. They're the users. They're not the problem. Um, I think these little small amounts of like a gram or less, these people, if you're walking around and you have a gram on you or whatever, I mean, you can typically like, I looked rough. If you look at every single mugshot I've ever had, I looked terrible. 
I was not living my best life, okay? I was like really struggling. I was very addicted to a substance. And so I don't think that throwing them in jail, it all it does is, well, especially with me and how long I was in there, all it did ironically was, um, it, yeah, I, did I get like sober and fat? Sure. Learned how to make some kick-ass ramen noodles, of course. But I also met like, people that are like real criminals, okay? And then, I mean, Tucson is, oh my God, that was the worst place in the world to go to jail. Oh my God. Um, oh, what a nightmare. That city, so like I'd never been in a jail that was like, I don't know what I imagine like California jails being like where there's like, where groups stick with groups. Like I know the guys' prisons typically are like that, like it's like whites, blacks, you have different like um, gangs and whatever. Well, okay, Dallas County and, you know, DFW and Texas and all these counties, they're not like that. Like everyone just kind of like, you don't really have like group groups. I mean, maybe like you did someone wrong on the street or something, but like you don't have like gangs like that out here. Oh man, Tucson. Oh, I've never, um, the jail was um, the nicest. There was TVs and these little pods. Um, yeah, that, the jails were nice. Um, the girl that I actually bunked with, just to tell you, they don't separate you. Um, they only keep people with misdemeanors in like one big pod. If you have a felony, you get moved essentially. Okay. Or like a hold from a different state, which I had also. Um, so they moved me to this pod and mostly these girls were all waiting for like fed time. Um, the girl that slept above me, uh, she ended up, she ended up getting 25 years for um, poisoning her son with salt water in the hospital. She had Munchausen's um, and he died. He was like, I don't know how old he is. You can Google this. Um, her name was Ashley something. Um, anyways, I mean, there's, but there's groups, dude. Like there's like, she wouldn't even come out. They, they had her like on lock and key because everyone knew who she was. And so she had to like stay in a cell alone, you know, but then she eventually had to like sign a waiver and then she could go to gen pop. But then like, there's these like straight up like gang groups out there and they stick together. And I was like, just literally got stuck in Tucson because I was passing through didn't know anyone that sucked. I was like dying in Tucson. Oh my God. I hate that place. Um, and I might be kind of rambling, but I just want you guys to understand like there, there's not really a simple answer for it, but I don't think that people with petty drug charges, like I shouldn't have been sleeping under a murderer. I don't think personally, but you know, Hey, I mean, that's just, that's just me, but all right. I'd already been to prison. I wasn't like that big of a, you know, I just kind of like did my own thing. Didn't look at her, speak to her, whatever. She didn't look like a murderer, but she wasn't very nice either. So, you know, Hey, um, I don't know guys, there's not a single answer, but I do think that there needs to be more understanding in the legal community, uh, for like, treatment. But that brings me to my next problem, which is that we have a whole treatment problem, right? Like there's state 
statewide, if you go in Texas, we have very few facilities. Okay. There's a few private ones. The state ones are trash. Um, it's awful. Okay. There's not really like, and then you're always waiting for beds. People sit and wait. They'll, they'll be like, Hey, yeah, we're going to send you to this treatment facility from jail. Uh, your time starts once you get moved to the treatment facility and they have a bed available. Okay. Do you know how long it can take to get a bed in one of these facilities? <laughs> like up to like a year. I kid you not. It is insane. So unless you have money, I don't really know. So the whole treatment system has to be evolved in order to even like come up with a good plan and a good approach. But I do believe we need to have a compassionate approach towards addicts, not dealers, but towards addicts. Um, and we need to help them. And I was one of them. And trust me, I, I really, I wanted help. I just didn't know who to ask. And so maybe like some of these nonprofits, like I always, I mean, my, um, I'm related to someone that, that does volunteer work and she does a lot of like reentry, um, organizations. And I love some of the stuff that they do and they connect these people getting out of prison with other people that are getting out and, um, they'll like pick them up. I, there's like this whole web um, through this nonprofit and it's really cool. I should try to find the information and I'll post the um, description of it at the bottom of this or the website in this description on this podcast. But um, my point is there's not really a great solution, but I, I don't believe that throwing them in jail is the solution. And then it is going to vary state by state. So just go into it knowing that. Okay. Um, now, Let's talk about how to clean up your legal problems, okay? This is like actually I um so there was a few things, right? I was living in California. I had completed treatment when I started doing my cleanup tour. I had fled probation from Arizona. So I was like I had a warrant in Arizona. I had a warrant in Texas, and then um, the incident in Oklahoma um, got resolved on its own um, with the death of my mother, which um, my biological mom. So anyways, that went away. Um, I didn't, that's a story, but honestly, that um, I I was grateful that that did happen. That's what should have happened. It never should have been an issue in the first place. Just know that. Um, But as far as cleaning up the other two, okay, I knew, one, I had dealt with my probation officer in Arizona. He was a hard ass. He was a stickler. And I knew knew that he didn't like me very much, okay? So um, what I did, I did have a good pro bono attorney in Arizona. That was what was like my, and I had a good judge, okay? And um, that really made all the difference in the world. And I started reaching out, right? I think I started reaching out when I went into treatment, but then I continued to send documents, like say I completed a course or I was, you know, getting drug tested or, um, you know, on whatever I, I did, I started sending, I started making a folder, literally like printing things off, sending them individually or at the end, I just blew up my attorney so much. I sent her like so many documents of all the stuff that I'd completed, right? Um, and when 
I, I, I had done like an X amount of meetings, had a sponsor. She wrote rec letters. The people at the rehab wrote rec letters. I had my rehab certification or certificate um, of completion. I had all kinds of stuff, right? And I really was, I had really changed my life. I mean, it was the beginning of it, but I, I didn't had no intention of going back or going back to Arizona for that matter. So I get lucky it's COVID. So they don't make me come back. Okay. They, she gets me a hearing and I get to do it via zoom. All right. Um, my probation officer showed up. He said pretty much like, screw her. She ran from probation. She deserves to have to come back here and have the book thrown at her and like, whatever, you know, she clearly like, she did lied to me, blah, 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 blah. And then, um, I'm like shaking in my boots and I, I think my attorney was speaking for me. And then I asked at the very end if I could speak for myself and he said, yes. And so I start laying it out and I go, you know what? Judge so-and-so, probation officer so-and-so is 100% correct. I did lie to him. I was using while I was on probation. I take accountability for that. Um, I take accountability for everything that I did in your state. Um, I was passing through. I have no relatives there. I'm not from there. I stayed there on probation um, to try to complete it. I failed. I left, um, absconded. He is correct in everything he's saying. However, this is what I this is what I've done since, and I want to tell you, I have gone to treatment, had a baby. I've been consistently drug tested for X amount of time. I've gone to meetings. I have a sponsor. I, my attorney has all of my letters of recommendation for early termination of probation. That is all I'm asking you. I will not be back to your state. I have no ties there. And I, I can look you in the eye today and tell you that I'm, I take accountability for what I did and I will not do it again. And I really, I'm not fully changed, but I am changing every day for the better. And that is all I can tell you. I have no intention of going back. And he did not issue or grant, he didn't do anything right then. Okay. Um, he like said, we'll recess. And then he gave me another date, like a week out. It was supposed to be a week out. And then like, I want to say like two days later, I'm sitting down and I get a phone call from my attorney and she tells me that he dismissed the whole thing or he, I, I don't know if it, actually, I don't even think you can find it. I don't know what happened to it, but he dismissed it. He dropped it. And, um, that is honestly the best way if you've already like absconded what I would say is if you really are clean because probation is easy to do whenever you're clean okay because Texas simultaneously I actually had to do probation in Texas right I didn't start my probation in Texas until I was sober so I did probation in Texas then I had to like then once I moved back I finished it I've been done for a year now um but I had to do call-in drug tests, same thing. I mean, I wore a drug patch, you guys, for a very long time, which if you don't know what that is, 
Um, you wear it like it looks like a nicotine patch or something. It's like a, a essentially it's a really big, ugly Band-Aid. And you can put it like I think they put mine on my shoulder most of the time. You wear it nonstop, 24 hours a day. You go get it changed every 10 days. It collects your sweat. They mail it off to a lab. So if you've had any substance in that 10-day period, that drug patch picks up. It's like the most accurate drug testing method, period. I wore that for quite some time and I never failed. I also had pee test, everything else, okay? But every time that I had ever had probation leading up to like, you know, getting clean and, I, and if I wasn't doing the right thing, it was impossible to pass. And they make it hard enough for you anyways, even if you are clean, right? It's hard to, if you don't have like a vehicle, it's hard to get around um, the logistics, the meetings, the this, the that, like they, they don't give a lot of room. It's like, yeah, you have to hold a job, but hey, I can come call you and uh, show up at your job at any point in time, in which case, hopefully your employer isn't freaked out by the fact that your parole or probation officer shows up. I mean, they really, really, really do put you in a system that's not meant for many people to get out of. I want to say that one in 10 get off probation. And that's something supposedly only one in 10 um, people will recover from opioids and stay in recovery long-term. Now, I don't know how accurate those numbers are because again, goes back to treatment facilities and a lot of them being private and them spitting out their own numbers. And who knows? Um, Today, my belief is that many people, all these kids that are dying from fentanyl, they're not getting the chance to become drug addicts the way that we did. And the laws are so much more lax now, if you haven't noticed, in most states. I mean, they are kind of retightening because I think it's become, fentanyl's become such a problem. They're like, oh crap, what did we do? Like in Oklahoma's case, right? 2016, they made everything, um, drug possession was a misdemeanor and now it's illegal again or it's a felony again, right? Um, so, you know, I, I do... <sighs> I don't think there's going to be necessarily another generation of um, opioid addicts because fentanyl is just killing them. Now, if you're in the state of Texas or if you already have charges, if you're trying to get clean, my best advice is this, is to be honest. Like if you, if you really have like, even if you, okay, say that you've been clean, right? We'll just do a hypothetical. Say you've been clean. And you've, you know, been doing well on probation or whatever. And then you, you relapse. Okay. All right. Then you get called for your drug test. And it just so happens, of course, to be when you relapse. Okay. Um, <laughs> instead of trying to like fake pee it or whatever, I would honestly go to that probation officer and be like, look, I fucked up. This is what's going to show up. I can tell you. I just want you to know. I've been doing really good. I'm not proud of myself, but I've been doing really good up until this point. And I, and I fucked up. Um, this isn't, and I didn't want to try to, you know, be sneaky or whatever. I just wanted to come to you. Okay. Most people in that area, right. In criminal justice, in, um, probation, not all of them. A lot of them do get jaded, but I swear it's all about your, the way that you relay, um, your thoughts to them your accountability and how much accountability you take, if you take it all, I promise you, you're going to have a better chance. 
of them like giving you a pass. Now, next advice is I say gather and do as much as you possibly can if you're trying to get off of probation or parole. You need to literally every single drug test that is passed, you need a picture of it on your phone. You need it printed. You need a you need a binder, dude. You need to show up with a binder. Okay? You need to have this stuff documented. You need everything good that you've done in that time period. I don't care if you became a, like for me, okay, great. I'm, um, you know, I do tons of fentanyl awareness, blah, 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 blah. Um, I would seriously put my, uh, like I would, if, if I had to go in front of someone today and plead my case, I would literally put every single thing, including my TikTok awareness like in this binder, swear to God, you want to, you'd rather be overprepared than underprepared. And the number one thing that you need to know going into trying to get off is you need to take accountability. Okay. And that is the first thing that needs to come out of your mouth to any of these people is accountability. And if you can do that and then show that you've walked the walk, you have a pretty damn good chance of getting whatever it is you want on the other side. Um, I am happy to help in that arena. If anyone does need it, feel free to message me, email me, whatever. Um, there's lots of programs as well um, that you know are nonprofits that do. the One of the hardest things, in my opinion, is reentry from like a prison situation, uh, whether it's addiction or non-addiction related. Um, and then for those of you that are listening and you know have never had legal ramifications, let me tell you to stop while you're ahead, okay? Because it only gets worse. It does not get better. And that is a system that is not made for people to exit. Very few get get off of it. And it's because, honest to God, it's like a hamster wheel. I mean, they, they make it so hard. And then also, I didn't even bring up the monetary amount, but you also pay them monthly, right? You pay... If they make you wear an ankle monitor, if you get drug tested, you pay for all of this stuff. They don't pay for it. You do. Okay. So if you're like struggling, right, and you don't have a ton of extra money and all you're doing is paying them, like they they will literally make it so hard. And that needs to change too. I mean, we need a total, total, total reboot of the criminal justice system, our treatment centers and facilities and how we approach mental health and addiction and whatnot. I was going to do a topic on stigma today. Um, and like I said before this, like I wanted to hit kind of like some of the things that I think are the most important about my recovery journey. Um, now so much has changed for me. Like I really, drugs are not a part of my life other than doing things like this and you know, I don't even think about them and I'm a mom and I do crafts and I like, I elf, I'm elfing on the shelf. Like that's like what I do. I buy, like I do other things and that's so much so part of my recovery journey. And I will, you know, share that kind of stuff later. But for right now, the people that follow me, the people that listen, this kind of stuff matters and you need to know, and you need to understand either like how to get out of it, or you need to understand what's coming. Because I promise you, like, you do not want to get put in the legal system. 
of any state, definitely not the state of Texas, though. I promise you that much. So I'm going to leave you guys with that. I have talked long enough. My mouth is dry. But anyways, um, I hope everyone has an amazing holiday. Truthfully, I do. Um, I know I have um, a really awesome guest coming up on December 7th. Um, her name is Dr. Elizabeth Zona. She is addiction talk doc, Dr. EMZ on TikTok. Um, you can go check her out. You can follow me at Operation Opiate on TikTok. Um, me and her have, we've made a lot of videos and do a lot of stuff together and she's an amazing educator. She's an anesthesiologist and she does addiction, um, work on the side. So she's an addiction doctor. Like that's like what she does. Um, so With that being said, there's lots to look forward to. The holidays can be grim. They can be hard. Don't let them get you down. And hopefully this podcast was long enough to entertain you. And uh, hopefully it was a little bit entertaining, but uh, and informative, I hope. But seriously, reach out if you guys need anything. Um, And, you know, I like have only been a free person for a year, but I promise you my drug stuff follows me. Yeah. Are there people that are going to give me opportunities that I know? Yes. Um, because I know them, they know I've changed, but dude, that stuff follows me. If I want to get licensed, like it's put me in this like whirlwind of like, of, you know, so much, like I I faced a lot of rejection with renting. Whenever I first tried to move, I faced rejection with jobs and I'm like, Oh my God, I've never, I had never been rejected in my entire life before. Now that's all I get. So there's this like fear based around like even trying and I've just got to get over it um which I plan on doing and moving forward but no matter what um you need to understand the legal aspects it's not just about going to jail for that one weekend it, it follows you it really does my it really follows you um and I want you guys to understand and think about that now leaving on a grim note but uh I hope you guys have a fabulous Thanksgiving and um, I hope that you're spending it with your family and um, your loved ones and I hope you guys all stay safe and please leave feedback. Someone told me they were unable to, but if you can do it, if not, you can always email me um, and I will put my email in the bottom of this description as well. So um, anyways, thank you guys so much for listening to Fixed and I will see you guys next week. was the sixth episode of fixed you guys and i hope you have again a fabulous thanksgiving and stay tuned for more all of the information i said i would put is now in the description so go check out um, re-entry programs nonprofits, and then all of my contact information is in there as well so i am signing out this was jessica danielle your host of fixed